Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. How do you feel about Don Knotts? I really have a point to this. It's <laughs> <a> random question. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Crush the Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Kirsten Lines, and I'm joined by my co-host and cousin, Aaron Raderstorff. That's you. That is me. Today's episode is so like funny and warm and honest, and she has maybe my favorite accent. Yeah, she sounded great. Her voice was like butter. It that is a great way to put it. It was like butter. She it was says, very calming. Very calming. I agree. I just felt really like, ah, okay, let's do this. Yeah, it was lovely. Lovely is like a great way to describe yeah, this episode. Lovely. You know what I realized? Our podcast comes out on Fridays and so did TGIF. I don't know what you're talking about. What? TGIF? You don't know- like the, no, that's TCBY. What? TGIF. It's Friday night and the mood is right. Gonna have some fun. Show you how it's done. TGIF. Full no house. Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Family Matters. Oh Kirsten, how old would I have been when this was I all don't happening? know. That's not the point. The point is, this is ridiculous. I feel like you know enough that you should know about this. I would have been a little unfertilized egg, not yet existing. <laughs> Come meet us next week when we meet the fertilized <laughs> egg of Aaron. I, can't, I, I literally, I, I thought you were going to get so excited right there and you gave me I thought you just meant like nothing. the like what you say around the office like TGIF I didn't realize When have like, I ever worked in an office? I don't know. <laughs> you played Sometimes, people that worked in an office. That's true. I have played a lot of people that worked in an office. Marcia and I did a live and we do a live every Thursday. It's called Mugshot in the Morning and I'd love for you guys to come and check it out. We talk about everything between um appreciation versus appropriation. We talk about the Chauvin trial. She Wrote, we shared it on our stories, but she wrote an awesome article, um, kind of now what, like what's the next step after this verdict? And so, um, but we can link some of the lives. We've just had some amazing discussions and um, uh, yeah. And use good. the mug I gave you. Oh yeah. And today in Mugshot in the Morning, I got to use a very special mug given to me by a very special person. Her name is Erin Raiderstorff. Me. That's you. That is me. That is you. Um, I I use mugs to commemorate everything. And I was just thinking about it. And one, I wanted to say thank you for bringing me on because this has been an amazing thing to be a part of. But I was not, like- This isn't the end, the last episode. We're just no, not a at moment, all. I, guys. I, We're I, just having a moment. I'm just explaining the origin of the mug because although <laughs> I do tend to just buy people gifts when I feel like I need their approval- uh, this was really more of I wanted to say thank you. And the way that I commemorate big things is with mugs. So it felt appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just laughing. <laughs> I love you so much. It, I loved using it mugshot in the morning. I think I'm going to use it every mugshot in the morning now. It's so fun. Um, Marcia loved it. She was like, is that going up in your shop? I'm like, we don't have one yet, but maybe soon. Claire said something in last week's episode and she called it being left at the dance moment or the left at the yes. dance moment. And I think it really struck a chord with Aaron. It did. 
And I should have told you this before. My story has nothing to do with that. However, I did love that. And I was talking to one of my friends, uh, my best friend, Emily, who listens to our podcast religiously. She's the best. Um, um, speaking um, of Emily, she wrote us a great review. Ooh, speaking oh, speaking of, wait a second. Speaking of reviews, we haven't read a review in a while. She's the best. Everybody needs a friend like Emily. Oh, like that's really cute. Hi, Emily. Um, okay, wait, I want to read a review because it's really good. Okay, let me read this. Okay, ready? This is not from Catherine, who is from Texas, and we do talk a lot about Texas, but it says, thank you from Texas. Thank you for creating this podcast and creating a space to be open and to share life with us, the listeners. As someone recovering, growing, learning from a recent crushed moment, I have gleaned good advice from this podcast and find comfort in empathizing with the stories of the guests on the episodes. Oh, I've recommended this podcast to everyone I know. And we got a smiley face emoji, like a legit emoji, not like semicolon parentheses, Empathy. like a real emoji. God bless you both. Milan C. I hope oh, I'm pronouncing your name, so Milan. Nice. Spelled like the city. Yes, or Milan. It might be mm, Milan. That's Milan. so nice. Thank you. I know. Um, if you would like your review read on air, hey, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Spotify doesn't let you leave reviews. It doesn't. You know what's crazy to me? Like mm. how I love when we get positive reviews. When people say like, oh, I recommended this to someone, that blows my mind. That yeah. like, to me, that's... Very cool. I love that. Aaron so, recommended yeah. the um, now uh, defunct drink at Starbucks to me, the brown sugar oh, the brown oat milk sugar shake oat and milk. espresso. It was yeah. so good. I can't answer for Starbucks's oat milk sins, but if you want to message me privately, my DMs are always open and I can maybe offer you some. You can slide into one. Aaron's DMs to chat slide about oat milk and brown sugar syrup. Anyway, so Claire left at the dance. Go. Claire left at the dance. But, oh, what I was saying about Emily was she and I were just talking about how powerful that line was because it's it mm. it's so much more than like also being physically left at the dance. It's like the perfect way to describe that moment when you got so excited about something and then reality hits. Yeah. And I, I think everybody can can understand that moment when it like it kind of hits you when you were like, I got left at the dance. Hmm. And I, I love having that vocabulary now to describe how I'm feeling in those moments. So yeah. I'm, I'm so glad she said that. But what it also reminded me of, <laughs> you know, when you, you go through something in life and then you talk about it years later and you realize everybody saw it a little differently than you. Well, my um, best friend from the seventh grade came and visited me in LA for a week and we had the most amazing time. And it was the most time we'd gotten to spend together since high school, probably. Is this Claire? Yeah. Oh, hi, Claire. And <laughs> Not Claire McAllen, a different, different Claire. Different Claire. There's more than one Claire. <laughs> in the world, yeah. She said, she was laughing and she was like, do you remember that time when you hid in the bathroom during the eighth grade dance and wouldn't come out until they played Viva La Vida? And Wait, I- what's Viva La Vida? <laughs> the Coldplay song, Viva La Vida. Oh, yes. And it was so funny because I had never heard that story <laughs> with so little context. <laughs> being told that way and I was like oh my god I bet to everybody it seemed like I wouldn't leave the bathroom until they played Viva La Vida until they played Coldplay I was just you were like Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> give me so what part. what really happened was I had just come from a very very small school so our our middle school dances were the whole middle school and it still was less than 100 kids it was probably even less than 75 kids wow and you they, they played like the cha-cha slide, like dances where everybody knew the dance too. And then they would play a ton of games. There wasn't like actual freestyle dancing. What you're talking about is 
Claire when she walked in and it was the butt to butt. It was grinding. Grinding. Yes. Guys, we want to hear about the first time you went to a dance <laughs> and there was grinding. Cause I feel like everybody has that moment where they're like, what? Well, what do I do? Happening? So yes. it, it wasn't quite that intense, but it was okay. still a lot more than I was ready for or that I didn't feel it like I had been is. prepared for. It always is. And I was on the student government. And so I got there a little early to like help set up as much as they let eighth graders and student government do. Right, they're like, put a balloon over here. <laughs> yeah. And I was talking to the DJ who was just a high school kid. And I was like, you know what song kids love? Viva La Vida by Coldplay. <laughs> and he was like, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm, it's not in my, it's not in my pre-approved playlist. I'm not going to play it tonight, but you're right. Great song. And I was like, okay, whatever. Conversation happened. He's not going to play it. Whatever. I start to get really overwhelmed. I have my first probably real life panic attack that I'm aware of what's going on. So I go to the bathroom to calm down and I can't bring myself to go back out there. And I'm like, it's two hours. I can hide in here. And what I would do was I would, I would like venture out to the bathroom, the hallway, and I would find another group of people I knew that was going into the bathroom and I would go back into the bathroom with them. And then finally people started to catch on probably about an hour in. And I was like, well, my excuse is I'm not coming out until he plays Viva La Vida because I know he's not going to play it. I scammed all these people, but my sweet friends who enjoyed having me around, I thought was a scam. But anyway, they harassed this DJ until he played that song. And so I'm sure this poor high school kid is like, oh my God, this, this girl is hiding in the bathroom until I play her favorite song. Long story short. You were just having a panic attack. I was just having a panic attack. It was too much. I wanted to go home, but my mom was so excited that I like put myself out there and was going to this (laughs) dance. I couldn't tell her that I was too scared. They played Viva La Vida and they're like, okay, you have to come out now. And we go out. And I don't know if you know this, but Viva La Vida is not a dancing song. It's a very, but it's not a slow song. So I go out there. It's a Coldplay song. It's a Coldplay song. And everyone just stands still. And I was like, this is my speed. I can do this. I can do standing still. There's probably about 30 minutes left in the stance and I'm like getting more comfortable. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. And then the slow song comes on and they play teardrops on my guitar. And I look oh. around and the boy that I had the biggest crush on danced with somebody else. And I was like, you know what? I think my career with school dances is over after tonight. I'm good. I'm done. I don't need to do this ever again. So that was that. And now I'm glad to know that my friends refer to this story as the time I wouldn't leave the bathroom until I played Viva La Vida. Oh, that's a really sweet story. I still, I, I still can't. I'm sorry. I'm just still having a really hard time that you don't know what TJF is. I just, I so wait, like I, it, was, it was probably like Nickelodeon programming. Right? Okay. Okay. No, it was ABC. I watched Full House and Family Matters all at Nick and I night. And then I would watch them at like how to three. handle this. That is, I watched Dick Van Dyke on Nick at night. Like, I don't think you understand what you just said to me. Just, I need to call, you, my, wait, I need to call my therapist right now. <laughs> Let me ask you something really quick. Super okay. random. How do you feel about Don Knotts? <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> I'm, I really have a point to this. <laughs> That's a random question. <laughs> about him? Like, you think he's funny? You like his movies? Have you ever seen The Incredible Mr. Limpet? No. Okay. I tried to explain the plot of this movie to someone, and I think they thought I made it up like I was in a fever dream. Basically, this man 
becomes a fish and he couldn't get into the Navy because he had really bad eyesight. So he becomes a fish and he helps- I know what you're talking about. He helps track submarines in World War One or Two. I don't remember which one. Is he a cartoon? Yes, he's a cartoon and part I of the totally, movie. I'm having, I feel like I'm having a fever dream. I feel like I know what you're saying. Yep. Incredible movie. One of my favorites. Hey, listeners, we also want to ask you, how do you feel about Don Knox? I Star of stage and screen and television. Sorry, you said Dick Van Dyke. And I was like, oh, I have to ask Kirsten if she's seen this. Because I feel like it seems like Dick Van Dyke in the movie. No, but it was like Dick Van Dyke to Andy to Don Knotts. That was my train of thought. (laughs) I need you to understand how great that question was. Hey, I need to find this book. I need can you start going into bars in LA and going asking boys, hey, how do you, do you feel, feel about Don Knotts? You have a book? I do. The Andy Making of Don. a Friendship and a Classic American TV Show. Aaron, see, this is why it doesn't make sense that you don't know what TGIF is. Just Sorry, as much- They talked about programming. They talked by the about way, the shows. By the way. All right. So some things we've learned in today's intro. Aaron, huge fan of Don Knotts, <laughs> yet doesn't know what TGIF is. You're an anomaly and I love you. You're an interesting, yeah. interesting woman. And I think you're fantastic. Thank you for my mug. Anytime. Give me back my rom-com book. <laughs> Here comes Catherine. <laughs> Catherine Whitaker is the author of Live Big, Love Louder, an award-winning book about living an intentional hell yes kind of life. She has appeared in USA Today, EWTN Radio, and TV stations around the country. Catherine and her husband, Scott, live with their family in Austin, Texas. Welcome, Catherine. Hi. Hello. Really quick question. The first question we ask every guest, and you can have a write-in, but NSYNC or Backstreet Boys? Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, NSYNC, like, it's because of the Justin Timberlake thing, but I'm kind of you rather go to a Backstreet Boys concert? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And is, do you have, I just need to know if there's the reasons. reasons. (laughs) Um, they have cool moves, man. Like, they can... Kristen just spit out her what she's drinking. Guys, I always they, I'm drinking coffee and I, I literally it, it was just a way it was like a I almost spit out again. It was just like a, a little bit of a pregnant pause and then I was like, they have cool moves. Like, <laughs> my kids, oh my gosh, I hope they I don't know if they'll listen to this will be like my mom's so cringe. Sorry, y'all. But yeah, they do. They have cool moves. I'm feeling a little bit far away from you right now because you said Backstreet Boys, but I, I want to get closer. So, okay, your perfect mash. Were you going to live in a mansion, apartment, shack, or house? I just forgot what our options were. Oh, mansion. Who doesn't choose the mansion? And then who did you want to marry? Like, who are you going oh, to marry? Patrick Swayze. <sighs> I oh. loved Patrick Swayze. Okay, like, so is it Dirty Dancing, Ghost, all of it? not really a big fan of ghosts uh dirty okay. dancing you know point point break you know the outsiders point break oh i mean seriously like he's so you know and i think the thing well he was uh, he's a texas boy so that was definitely a mark in my book that was definitely a big check but his mom was his ballet teacher and he learned ballet and that's how he became such a great dancer as he grew up in that environment and so when he was in dirty dancing it was sort of like and at that point his mom had passed away it was just this beautiful and of course I didn't know this when I was 12 I know this now (laughs) but it was just this beautiful I think tribute to his mom and I don't know he was just like he was a manly man but he knew how to dance and I was like yes but I was also 12 so 
you yeah, know. I wasn't allowed to see that movie until I was like way older. And I remember- Well, I didn't even know the plot line until like, maybe I was in my, this is a, every 80s movie, okay? You watch it 30 years later and you're like, oh, that was in the movie? It goes yeah, way over your that. head. I thought I saw the movie Footloose because my parents showed me the last dance that sequence and told me, told me and my brother, we're going to show you this movie. It's called Footloose. Oh my gosh, this guy, they used to call him like the rubber man. He was like, whatever. So I was like, guys- I saw like a PG-13 or whatever, like this is huge. Like I'm such a big deal. And I went to school and I was like, yeah, I saw Footloose. And then people were like, oh, you remember like the tractor scene? I'm like, what? And they're like, remember that like crazy dance break? And I was like, I don't, I didn't see that movie. <laughs> I saw <laughs> I saw dancing with like sparkly glitter. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and Dirty Dancing, I think the first time I like, I think I was in college and I was like, this movie is very grown up. I was a big fan of the, the lake scene, you know, they're practicing oh, the lift. Yes. And then just like, she was so awkward and mm. he was so smooth and I don't know. No. And then of course the line, nobody puts baby in a corner. I say that all the time. Nobody puts baby in a corner. <laughs> you know, Kenny Ortega. These are things that I should never admit online. Kenny Ortega, who did you should admit musical. all of these things. Wait, Kenny Ortega did that's Dirty right. Dancing. Okay, so we're guys, guys, just wait for this. Kenny Ortega choreographed Dirty Dancing. Kenny Ortega directed and choreographed Newsies, the greatest movie ever. Kenny Ortega also did um, High School Musical oh, one, musical. two, and three. So what I'm saying is, generations are being brought together through Kenny Ortega. <laughs> Thank you. So sir. have I redeemed myself from the Backstreet Boys? Have I redeemed yeah. myself? Okay, yeah, good. we're, we're okay. no, we're growing closer by the minute. Uh, okay, and then where did you, did you like, were you always gonna live in Texas? Always, for sure. Okay. Dallas, now you wouldn't, you couldn't pay me enough money. That was when Dallas show was really big when I was growing up. You wanted Larry Hagman's eyebrows. You were yes. like, can I get those? And they lived in the mansion. My mm -hmm. aunt and uncle actually lived down the street from where it was filmed. So every time we would drive by, I'd be like, oh, that's where I'm going to live. <laughs> Wait, do you watch The Office or did you watch The Office? You know, my, so I have a kid in college. He's mm -hmm. 20. He loves The Office okay. and he's tried so many times. Like I'll watch the clips, but to sit down and watch the show, I just can't do it. That's not where your like humor resides. Then I, it's, I keep it's trying kind of to get monotonous. him to watch Seinfeld and he just doesn't get into Seinfeld. And I was like, I how can you not love Seinfeld? Seinfeld. Seinfeld. It must a be a generational times. Okay. Though I wasn't allowed to watch Seinfeld, Office came on by the time I was an adult and I could choose what NBC <laughs> programming I watched, but I was not allowed to watch Seinfeld in the home, but the coolest boy in school, Kelly, by the way, he had a girl name, whatever. He was a mean and a bully, but he watched Seinfeld. And so I was like, one day I'm going to watch Seinfeld and then maybe he'll like me. Spoiler alert, didn't happen. But <laughs> The Office has a great scene where they like find an old Dallas board game and anyway, somebody cheats and then he's like, and that's Dallas. It's a, I'm. It doesn't make any sense right now because you haven't seen it's this. Fine. So. It's fine. <laughs> I'm sure my oldest will explain it to me later. I, if he's listening right now. Hi. Yes. Um, okay. Loic and Ellis and Bradley are coming in. They're going to go to another room, but Loic might screech. He's been known to be a part of this <laughs> podcast. It usually has to do with puffs or cracker or anything else. He's really into this um, uh, Lil Bo Peep from Toy Story 4 staff that he just walks around and screams and he looks like Moses partying the Red Sea. So if he finds that, guys, get ready. Your crush story, set the stage. Okay, so my husband and I both have degrees in agriculture. So I have two degrees in agriculture. So one is like a general degree in agriculture uh, with a minor in advertising and marketing. 
And then my master's degree is in ag education. So like I could have taught agriculture at a high school. I'm sorry. Did you just say educate? Can you say that word again? Ag, ag education. Agricultural education. Yeah. I was like, I don't know that word. I'm learning. Wow. So she knows today. so many things. Um, and so my minor was in journalism and communication. So my okay. dream job, I was working for a nonprofit who worked with youth and it married both things because I got to work in communication, but the primary focus of this youth organization was agriculture. So teaching our kids about the science, business, and technology of agriculture. So it's not okay. just production agriculture. That's a big one. Like people are like, do you work with like cows? And I'm like, well, not really, okay. <laughs> but there's a lot of pieces and components to the world of agriculture. So I had this great job. I loved it. Like I, I booked, we had a big national convention and we would bring about 50,000 kids to Louisville, Kentucky. And I was responsible for the, the speakers on the main stage, organized press conferences and did all this stuff with our student representatives who are college kids, preparing them for media training. And then I got pregnant, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, I was maybe, which is truly why it took us so long to have kids. Cause I did, I loved my career so much that I just wasn't ready to become a mom. I was in my mid twenties. So I get pregnant and I get ready to take, you know, my leave. We had like 12 weeks and the whole time during the 12 weeks, I'm figuring out like, is there a way that I can work? So remember this is 20 years ago. Right. So telecommuting is like a brand new thing. We had dial up internet and we had cell phones and bags and people had still putting the free AOL CD in the, that's oh, one yeah. of my favorite. Oh, that's my favorite. And you'd hear yeah, that. I mean, and, and when we would be out of town, we had to have a calling card that we would make <gasps> long distance phone calls. Remember that? Oh my gosh. I just <laughs> yes. remember that. Co- like college was, you'd like store up your calling card and all my friends yes. was like, boyfriends that were off they all had like they'd all share this like you got this really cheap thing which was like three cents a minute or something it was such a big deal yeah I feel like I need to set the stage for like what the internet and what the digital world was like back then. Al Gore had invented the internet it (laughs) just it just wasn't (laughs) what it was today that's right. I had some room to grow. I, I had this 12 week time period. I had an amazing boss who had really formed me, given me lots of opportunities to take on big roles and responsibilities. But at that time, a big part of my job, aside from our national convention, was working with vendors who did not live where we worked. You know, I was talking to them on the phone or talking to them on email. And so I really felt like maybe I could get the company to let me work from home and then only have to go in one or two days a week. That way I could have the best of both worlds. I could be a mom and I could stay home, but I could do this. And like one of the other people at the company that had negotiated that, she was a good friend of mine. I was like, all right, if Jennifer can do it, I can do it. And my boss was on board and I made this huge proposal and they sent it. And a week before I was supposed to go back, they turned it down. And I had sort of like banked on this happening and it, and they like, it was crushing. So So then I had to decide do I love my job more or my baby more? And we needed my income. Like we had made some poor financial decisions at that point in our marriage and both of our incomes were important. And Scott and I got out, we call it the yellow tablet conversation. We still have that stupid yellow tablet. And every time we have a financial discussion, we like do, you know, what are the debits? What are the credits? What's like the a legal, line? like a legal pad, mm-hmm. a legal I, pad. I saw a guy at target the other day, walk into target I was waiting in the car, walk into Target, walk out like five minutes later with a legal pad. That's all he bought. And I was like, who is this man? And how can I learn from him? He literally walked into Target and bought one thing. And it was a legal pad. I was like, 
Okay, he's so smart. I don't he know what. He was late for a meeting. That's he wasn't. No, was. he wasn't running fast. He sat in his car. He took a beat. I was like, "Who is this guy? Does he <laughs> get unicorn?" Co- I was like, "Does he give coaching lessons? Life coaching?" Okay, you guys sit down. And I just look at my husband. I said, "I think. I mean, I, I think I was crushed mostly because I was really good at what I did. Like I was, I was mm-hmm. a ghostwriter for a long time for our CEO." Um, they, they were giving me lots of roles and responsibilities, even though I was young and my boss was a big advocate of me. And it just felt like, what the heck, man? Like I've contributed my whole life. Like we did so many things and, and it wasn't even, Hey, let's talk about it. It was just a hard no. And that was crushing. Cause that was like my whole, my whole life, my whole identity was me being a strong, confident woman. Like I had so much to offer the world, so many dreams and aspirations. And in one fail swoop, like in an hour phone call with my boss, they were all gone. And I had this adorable three-month-old baby. I just, I felt like my life was over. I called a couple of people and I even, I even had two job interviews and I was trying to convince people that I could do their job part-time and no one was taking, no one was taking it. So then I looked at my husband, I said, well, we got to figure something out because I don't think I can go back. And I turned in my letter of resignation. And then we just like (laughs) took a leap off the deep end. And we're like, I was like, all right, let's see what I can do to bring in some income. And like, we cut every possible, you know, thing from the budget that we could cut from. And I started ironing my husband's shirts, which I still do today. That's the one thing that I haven't given up. And uh, we just, we figured it out, but that was, that was crushing. They had told me I was so talented, but they were so quick to send me out the door and hire somebody else. Did they say you couldn't come back or you just couldn't come back doing the part-time like telework? They said, we have a full-time 40 hour office job waiting for you. I I really want to go back to ghostwriting because I think some people might not know what that means. Um, And I, I want to go back to it because I think, so when I first moved to LA, the family that I, um, lived with, I, they had like a guest house. It was a garage. Actually. I didn't know. I lived in a third of their garage. They had converted. It was very small and very tiny. And I was very 21. The husband was a ghost composer. So he would like compose all these beautiful things for like straight to video, uh, Disney movies. So all like 102 Dalmatians, like all of those kind of movies, he would ghost, but it would never be his name. To me, that was kind of almost in your story. One of the most heartbreaking thing is not only are you like working so hard for them and, and bringing so many amazing speakers and all this stuff, but also like you were doing work that quote unquote, the CEO's name was on top. And that happens a lot, but if that's just like to, to give so much of yourself. And, um, we've had other people talk about their identity was wrapped up in this like dream job and, you know, God knows what he's doing sometimes, but just to, I'm so sorry, like to have all of that. And then I don't know. I mean, the, the hard part is that I was standing next to the CEO when I saw him and all these people would always say, Oh, I read that article that you wrote. It was so well done, blah, blah. And I'm just standing there. I was like, actually that, that was me. <laughs> and that's the hard part. Like I couldn't, I couldn't out myself and be like, actually they didn't yeah. have that because yeah. nobody knows that they have ghost writers that do that. So yes. Yeah. So sometimes when you read, in fact, almost every time that you read something that some CEO has written, they did not write that. Yeah. That was somebody else. <laughs> you know, it's cause it was the one thing that I felt like I was really good at, like writing was really, I was really good at that. And a few years ago, someone told me you should stop writing. Like it's not fruitful. And, um, but because I had been through that before, I just looked at that person. And I was like, whatever, whatever you think you need to think, but I'm not going to, I mean, I lived through that crushing thing where I thought everything was over and I don't know you, you, 
you really do go through stuff like that. And it sort of takes the edge off when it happens again, because when you're, when you have a talent or you have a skill or you have an ability that God's gifted you with, and you decide to do with it, what he wants you to do, you're always going to have people come at you say, you shouldn't do that. You know, that's terrible, whatever. And, you know, and sometimes it is, sometimes you got to grow up and get better, but sometimes that's just the devil, like tacking you on the back and you say, I've been here before. I know what you look like. And I'm going to walk away from that comment. I'm not going to let that comment steal my joy. Did they ever explain what fruitful? They felt like because I was writing and spending so much time doing that, that I wasn't being a good mom to my children. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, well, hello. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. What an amazing parenting expert. (laughs) Was this comment from a peer? or like a person you were trying to work with? Uh, it was from a teacher actually. Oh, delightful. I think that there's a lot of women that think that self-care is, we've talked about this on the podcast, getting your nails done. I'm not saying it's not, but there's something so beautiful about doing something that lights you on fire and like is life-giving and what that does to being a mother. And I think so many people think that the best mothers are the ones that pour everything into their children. But time and time again, we've seen how that can really um, deplete the actual mothering, right? And, and, you know, I know a lot of people that listen to our podcast aren't moms, but just a shout out to the women that are and shout out to the women that might be one day, like you're allowed to do things that bring you life not only are you allowed, but it's actually better for your kids. And for me, rotting, you know, to, to back up and I don't know if we'll talk about this, but one of our children was born premature. And so the way that I processed the trauma that that brought to our family was rotting about it, sharing it. And that's really what kind of opened the door into me rotting more. So mm-hmm. to have someone attack the very thing that had quite frankly saved my life, um, it was easier for me to blow off. Cause I'm like, you do not know what that means to me, what that means to my family. And truly for me, that's how I pray to Jesus. That's how I spend time with him is through rotting. Like that's how I process. And so for me, I was like, it was almost like you were attacking a piece of my prayer life. And so I'm just going to set that set that aside Mm. because you don't know the totality of my heart. And that's a thing that I needed to survive. It was therapeutic. It was my free counselor when I couldn't afford counseling and therapy and it did some beautiful things. And so, yeah, I don't fault the people for making decisions, you know, about my job or for saying the things that they did. We've all said hurtful things and I can certainly, I can give you a list of all the things that I've said that I wish had not come out of my mouth. So, but I'm grateful Write that for up. It. We'll share it. It'll be great. <laughs> we'll pin that on Pinterest. So I've learned, I've grown up and the older that I get, the more measured I am with what I say, because I know how much value we put in our words and how they can really encourage people, but how they can tear them down. Mm. And so I think about what I'm going to say and pray about, especially the hard stuff, pray Mm. about what I'm going to say before I share it. Cause I know how powerful it can be. And I think that there's something to be said for the processing and the gift of that. And not that everybody processes like that, but I think women, especially we process by like getting stuff out. That's just kind of sitting with it. Well, I mean, it it was oscillating. I mean, the neonatal intensive care unit prepared me for a pandemic. (laughs) I was washing my hands 12 years ago. I started all that. Mm -hmm. So it was incredibly oscillating. Facebook was the only social media that existed back then. Maybe Twitter did. No. Uh, excuse me. The, the beloved MySpace was around. If you want, you could put a music with your picture 
my, uh, I think at one point mine was Khalees, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I think, so this would have been in 2009 when Luke was born. I had a blog back then. And at, at that point it was just, Hey, this is for the mother and the mother-in-law to read about what was like a digital scrapbook. Yeah. But then when Luke was born, people kept asking us what's going on. And so then I started every night, 11 o'clock, I would get home from the NICU and I would sit down and I would write what happened that day. And some of it was pretty unfiltered. Some of it I kept to myself, but it made me not feel so alone because that was back when you would post things on your blog, people would comment and then you would have these comments with people. And then um, we went through a really scary time. He actually stopped breathing. We had to resuscitate him. He had an emergency surgery, two in 10 chance of surviving. I'm skipping over a lot of big things, but, but in essence, um, he almost died on the table. And the doctors resuscitated him. We did the surgery, which we didn't think he was going to survive. And he did. And subsequently after that, he had a bunch more surgeries, like more than a dozen specialists. So we went through a whole thing with him. Like it's a whole thing. I wrote a book about it. It's a whole thing. But I will say that on, that on the other end of that, the therapeutic part that I was able to give back is I helped start a preemie blog for a nonprofit who partners moms with other moms who are currently in the NICU. So moms that are out, moms that are in. And it healed me, Kirsten. I mean, I, I credit the ability for God to work through that writing, not only to introduce me to other people who were suffering and hurting, but for me to heal wounds that, that needed to be healed because I needed to, to get it out there and not feel so alone. And then we made it through on the other side and we did what we needed to do. And then I was able to help other moms and I would not have been able to do that had I not been able to write about it. It was my saving grace. I think what I love so much about this podcast is exactly what you said. You know, there's so much healing that comes from sharing. And when that becomes, there's a purpose in that. It's just so healing. Hold on. Hold on. I'm excited. What's happening here? No, this looks exciting. <laughs> oh, we okay. got a reference. Oh, you got a reference. Okay. Wait. So, so this book is all about value and worth and it, that, you know, who we are and, and we constantly go looking for it in other places. Henry now, and this is life of the beloved. And he says, what is our unique talent? We asked. However, when focused on talent, focusing on talents, we tend to forget that our real gift is not so much what we can do, but who we are. The real question is not what can we offer each other, but who can we be for each other? No doubt it is wonderful when we can repair something for a neighbor, give helpful advice to a friend, offer wise counsel to a colleague, bring healing to a patient or announce good news to a parishioner. But there's a greater gift than all of this. It is the gift of our own life that shines through all we do. As I grow older, I discover more that the greatest gift I have to offer is my own joy of living, my own inner peace, my own silence and solitude, my own sense of well-being. When I ask myself who helps me most, I must answer the one who is willing to share his or her life with me. And I just love what you're saying because I think, yes, you have a talent for writing. Yes, you have a talent for sharing stories and, and you have wisdom to know you need to pause before you say things. But what I love so much even more is that you were just, the biggest gift you gave was just you. It, it didn't feel like a gift. Like I didn't feel like it was enough at the time. Hmm. But the joy of perspective and time is that you look back and you say, Okay. So we, the, the, the challenge with humans and particularly women is that we expect perfection the moment that we go through something hard or something, but, but we expect ourselves to be perfect in that moment. And if we don't handle the situation perfectly, we put ourselves in the failure category when in essence, it's just showing up. So a, you showed up, 
that's a that's the biggest most important part but if you show up imperfectly it's okay the the bigger piece of that is do you recognize where your where your failings are do you recognize where you're inadequate and do you ask god to to fill that gap in with grace and then as you grow older you recognize that it's just the the gift of showing up and then the gift of being open to change being open to saying you know what i learned from that i grew from that and i have a different perspective now i think i shared this on social media the other day and and it's powerful and not and i wish that i'd been the one to say it but it wasn't um i care less about people's opinions and i care more about their experience and i think if we approach life from that perspective that not just does everybody have a story but they have a lived experience that has given them a, a depth of wisdom that there's lots to be learned from that. And I think we should sit with that more than we should sit with, are you right? Or are you wrong? Are you pro this or anti this? I think that we would gain a lot more in the world if we did that. Mm. That was, sorry, that would Catherine's Ted talk. <laughs> that was great. Can I, can I ask Thank you, you for coming? <laughs> what You're was welcome. your, like, what was the timeline of your healing process? Cause like, obviously it was a really hard decision to make, to not go back to the job, but then I'm sure you probably questioned yourself or even like carried a lot of anger about the situation. So what was the timeline from sort of healing from that to then figuring out what your next move would be? You know, it's probably about three or four years later, we were living in Indiana when he was born. And then about two and a half years later, we moved back to Texas. And at the time we were looking for houses. So we ended up living with my parents for about six weeks while we were looking for a house. And my dad came to me and said, Hey, so my dad's in construction. I grew up in construction. So I have an understanding of all that verbiage and all that kind of stuff. And he said, Hey, this gal just left at our office. Would you mind filling in until we find somebody? And that fill in job lasted 16 years. So I was able to work with my dad almost on a daily basis. I did everything from home. They were, they gave me a computer. They gave me, you know, access uh, to all sorts of things. I got to try new, that's how I sort of dipped my toe into graphic design and they gave me so much leeway. And had I held so tightly to that, not only would I not have developed this love for graphic design and combining my writing, but I wouldn't have got to work with my dad almost daily for 16 years. So that's the full circle moment that was really powerful. So I think the healing probably started not long after I started working with him and I thought, well, this is cool. <laughs> but you really kind of then sat with that. I don't want to assume it was anger. I mean, I, my first response would be anger, no, but I was like, angry. I was angry. <laughs> for like three to four years. Yeah. I mean, certainly having a cute little baby to, um, <laughs> yeah. to, to keep you occupied. And we had a really great community and I started maybe giving some time and attention to, to things that I really liked, like writing and graphic design. I kind of dabble in that. We were volunteer youth ministers and I got to hang out with other people's teenagers, which was super fun. Cause then I sent them back home at night, but they were very fun when I was with them. <laughs> and so that's when I developed a real love for ministry in the church. So there were definitely some really beautiful things along the way that, that really sort of took the edge off of that really difficult thing that happened. And, and it was just over a period of time that God kept giving me experiences and kept saying, Hey, you wouldn't have been able to go on pilgrimage to Italy if you still had this job, or you wouldn't have been able to go to world youth day with the Pope and 750 teenagers, if you still had this job. So the grace was there. It just took me a little while to see it a full circle moment. So about two and a half years ago, so we used to work the newsroom. We'd have this big convention. I was in one of the gals in charge of the newsroom. And, you know, that's where we had all the award winners come in and all the speakers or whatever. So about two and a half years ago, that same organization who I've still stayed in touch with, I, I mean, I left with no hard feelings. It was just the, 
it was the tempo of the world back then. Yeah, um, yeah. If that happened today, that company probably wouldn't be in business today, but, but it is what it is. Anyway, the, at that point we had, so Garth Brooks was doing a private concert for the convention. Uh, the president was scheduled to come in and they're like, Hey, Catherine, we need some help in the newsroom. Would you come back? And so I came back to the newsroom and, you know, 20 something years later, and sat in the same spot that I used to sit in and do all the same things. But this time it was a volunteer gig and it was like a full circle moment. And I thought, man, if I had stayed here Hmm. the last 20 something years, I would never have flourished and grown in the way that God wanted me to. So it was sort of like, God's like, Hey, (laughs) I kind of know what I'm doing, but I'm going to put you back in this environment so that you can physically see just how much you've grown and done and accomplished and just personally speaking, like how much you've grown as a person. And I'm going to let you see it as a real fruitful moment. So it was a, it was a full circle moment. Um, I feel like I've, again, so many things, but one thing I was thinking, we talked about this, uh, the previous episode with Claire, but the maturity that moves from why God, like why me, God, why to, okay, God, what are you doing? What's happening here? And it becomes less of a victim and more of an adventure. And I think that only happens with experience. And I think what's so beautiful about getting to talk to so many different people from so many different places and accents and just everything is that I hope that people that are listening get to hear these stories of you going back 20 years later, sitting in the same seat and seeing the grace unfold of like, I'm so glad that this is how it happened, but damn it, it hurt for those three years. Yes, there was things happening and moving and I had this beautiful child to look at, but like that hurt, it hurt. And I think sometimes as women, I love that, you know, Erin, you were like, that would be my first thing to go to anger. And Catherine, you were like, yeah, I was angry. Like, I think that as women, sometimes we, I don't care what background we're from, we're like, we need this to be perfect when it's not, but then I'm supposed to be grateful and I'm not supposed to get angry. And it's just like this like exhausting kind of um, dance that we do instead of just being honest and saying, this hurts. I'm hurt right now. And that's then- why I cuss it out in the closet, Kirsten. <laughs> that's why I go to my closet and I just cuss it out with Jesus. Um, okay. Something else that I really love the idea of I was wrong and I need to take responsibility and I'm going to move forward with that but I see it in my own life and I don't just see it with other people, but I also see it with what God is doing with me. The healing can be greater than the wound transformative or more important experience than actually the wound. And I remember kind of, I was listening to a therapy podcast and they were talking a little bit about that. And I, I think as I look back on my life, I'm like, Oh, that's really, really true. Um, especially the deeper, the wound and the bigger, the healing, The beautiful part about healing is that the apology or the rectification that you think that you must have in order to heal, when you actually are healed, that actually doesn't matter anymore. I had a situation where someone did something to me and at the time it was incredibly hurtful. And I just kept thinking when she apologizes, that's going to feel so good. And I finally got to a point that I didn't need the apology. And when she actually did apologize, I looked at her and said, I don't need the apology anymore because it was really my ability to grow up Mm. and recognize that everybody's realities look different. And I also think it, it helps me when someone comes at me, whether it be on social media or in my real life and they come at me, I used to take that really personally. Sometimes I still do, but not nearly as much as I used to. 
And it's primarily because I always know that there's something behind the hurt that I know nothing about. And that's really like, I'm just the safe place to land, but it's really because of something else. And so you sort of detach yourself from the comment or the experience because you know that that came from somewhere else. But again, I couldn't have, I don't think I had enough life experience at 26 to be able to see a situation like that Mm -hmm. at 46, I'll go ahead and out myself at 46. Um, the perspective is different and I can absolutely see when I would talk to my grandfather that that experience counts for something. He may not have known a lot about some of the things that I did, but boy, did his life experience always trump mine because he was always going to be older and always have lived through more stuff than I had. And so I best sit down and listen to what he had to say because he had some good wisdom. So I find myself gravitating to people like that, that have had a lot of life experience. And I'm like, please tell me all the things that you know, because now I'm willing to listen. Now I know that I actually know nothing. <laughs> so please and tell what me what a, you know. And you know what? What a gift to be like, yes. oh, I actually don't know anything. Like I think yeah. that's it's the freeing. Thing. It's so freeing. And it's yeah. so transformative because it's like, oh, wait, like I could learn something from you. <laughs> I don't wait. I don't know all the things. <laughs> that's what I told oh. my kids the other day. They were like, they were peppering me with questions. And I remember what it was about. And I said, guys, I'm not Wikipedia. I don't have all the answers. Why are y'all asking me? I don't know. So. It's really funny. Oh goodness. <laughs> I also like, I'm really struck with the fact that this all happened to you at 26 and Aaron is 26. And I feel like there's <gasps> an, yeah. Oh, you're so cute. Look at you. You're 26. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, it just, I think baby there's, Jack. But I think there's also something so like to go back to what you were saying, like, look, the world was different, you know, like that, what, why I was proposing, like that was not where we are at now. And just, I don't know, God's timing. I like to say I was ahead of my time back then, but I will say this, Erin, 26, uh, that season of my marriage and my life, Scott and I, that's my husband. We talk about, and we think about those early years when we were married and like what a sweet season of life that was. So you're in a really sweet season of life. I hope that you're enjoying it. I will say like as much as 2020 was horrible. So funny enough, my birthday is actually on new year's Eve. So the whole calendar year is like whatever age I was 2020 was terrible, but I loved being 25. I had such a great time being 25. Kirsten hated was, did you hate being 25 or 26? No, no, no. It was, it was that my, I thought my life was going to look a very specific way when I turned 26. So when I turned 26, it was very, very depressing for like three, for like a solid three weeks before and after it was like, I don't have my own TV show. I don't have a husband. I'm not pregnant. None of it's happening. I'm working like three jobs. I dress up as a party princess and go to kids' houses and paint their faces and there's snot and jelly all over their face. And what is my life? And then I just was like, oh, okay, I'm fine. Oh, and I also found my first gray hair on my 26th birthday. Oh, mine are all there. (laughs) I didn't find another one for years. I actually, my mom like really doesn't have gray hair. And I, but just to everything to be like, it just felt like light was dimming and it was all ending and like nothing was going to happen. And when you're an actress, gray hair and wrinkles means it's done and hadn't even started for me. It was just a real yeah, I'm, I'm excited. That's why I thought it was really interesting when we were talking before we recorded and you said you were married at 20 and I was like, it's no, she just met so- her husband at 20. I think she oh, at oh, yeah, met him at 20, married him at 22. And I was like, wow, like my life is just on such a different 
timeline. Like the thought of, I don't even think I had seriously dated anybody by 20. Like I didn't really have my first real boyfriend until I was, oh my gosh, 23. Like that's, it's just crazy. Well, he was, I mean, I, I dated one guy in high school, um, just before I went to college and then we called it quits before I left. And then I met Scott, uh, a month into my freshman year. Were you both like, this is it? Or was there. So um, I met him on a blind date and he was super cute. So we have the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M. So it's like an ROTC program. So they wear uniforms. So he was in a uniform and he had big old biceps and blue eyes. I was like, Ooh, yes. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) Aaron's just shaking her head. Like, tell me more. (laughs) So, but he was sort of like, um, I don't want to say Mr. Whitaker was a player, but like his, the cadets in his outfit were like, I don't know if you should date him. Like you seem too nice for him. And then, uh, it was a few months later and he found my dad's, the, the name of my dad on the credit card that I'd used to pay for dinner. Like we had a formal that we went to. And so I, because I was the one that asked him out, I paid for dinner. And so he found my dad's name. So he called information, the white pages and got my, that found our name, called me up over the holiday break and asked me if I wanted to go to the football game, the Cotton Bowl. And um, so that's when we officially started dating. Okay, but wait, that, wait, wait. He called, he found your dad's name via the white pages. And then he called I can't even home. get a text back. And this man is like flipping through phone books for you. Are you kidding? He's a sneaky one that Mr. Whitaker. <laughs> also, I love that you call him Mr. Whitaker. I feel a little bit like it's pride and prejudice, but um, yeah, I love it. I love that you call him Mr. Whitaker. Well, he, so in the, in the core, like there's different names for everyone. So when you're a freshman, you're called a fish. And so he was Fish Whitaker, but I met him when he was a sophomore and the sophomores are really mean because they're the ones who teach the freshmen how to be in the core. And so they all called him Mr. Whitaker, but all of his freshmen were all my friends because we were all the same age. And so they referred to him as Mr. Whitaker and it just stuck. And I've called him Mr. Whitaker ever since. Oh, that's really cute. So cute. You should put like a little heart around that part. That's as sentimental and sappy as I'm going to get. Called my ex Tiger Woods because he cheated on me a lot, but that's <laughs> another story. That's another podcast. <laughs> oh I know gosh. when I first when I first thought about your podcast, I was like, she's going to ask me about all the boys that I had crushes on. I was like, first of all, there were so many, but we then can also go through it. we can go through it. Let's do it. But then I thought, I, I hope she doesn't ask me about my boyfriends because that's going to be really short. Like the podcast is going to be over in like thirty seconds. <laughs> So you're like, I met a guy, he found me in the white pages. We've been married for <laughs> 20 years. We have six kids. No, I was like the letter writer. Like I used to write these letters to these guys. Cause that's back what you did. Like you'd meet someone, oh you're gosh. like, have your address and you'd like write them this heartfelt letter, your whole heart. And then crickets, they wouldn't write you back or they'd write you back and be like, Oh, we should get married. And I was like, no, no, no. I just said that you were cute. What? No. <laughs> so your I kids- had this whole. I, I had this whole shoebox full of letters that I had written boys. Do your kids ever give you grief not. when they ask you for like romantic advice? And then they're like, actually, you don't know what you're talking about. Cause you dated one person and then they married you and you've been together <laughs> forever. You know, um, no one has been brave enough to ask me. I mean, we do have, we call it, um, every Friday, my high school kids have half days most of the time. And so we call it girly boss Friday. So I have a junior in high school and he's my boy. And then I have a sophomore. So they're really close and she's a girl. And so he's always asking us advice. And we're like, well, okay, so this is what that really means. And so, 
<laughs> so we have girl advice Friday on um, every Friday. So we invited our oldest because he's like, I don't know about girls either. Like, why would they say this? And he goes, maybe I should start calling in on Fridays. And I said, <laughs> you should. So it's become a thing. It's actually in the last year or so. It's been pretty funny. I mean, I look back and think, did we really, did we really do that? I mean, I'm really grateful social media didn't exist when we oh, were in college. Thank God. <laughs> Thank because there's no documentation God. of all the dumb stuff I did unless I scrapbooked it and I have plenty of scrapbooks <laughs> in the closet. <laughs> but those are even edited a little bit. So that's definitely helpful. But the kids are like, just so, I don't know. I mean, it, it is, th- those do make the best stories when you've messed it up and you're like, actually there was this one time. So I'll tell you this. Okay. I'll go ahead and say this on air. So I did have a blind date when I was mm-hmm. a junior in high school this guy's name was clark wait can i just ask where are these people that are setting you up with people like nobody was like hey here's this friend will you go on a blind date like that was for like 25 year olds on friends like who are these i just love that you went on honestly i wish i could hunt this person down that set me up on (laughs) this blind date so clark rolls up to my house in a station wagon and he's a balloon vendor and he's got <laughs> he's got balloons in the back of the station wagon. No, no, it gets better. So then he says, Where would you like to go to dinner? And I said, and normally I would just say, like, you give me some choices. And he goes, How about we go to Luby's? Do you know what Luby's is? No. Yeah. Oh, so it's a it's like a um, it's where all the old people go because you can get like <laughs> two meats and a side and they have the trays and you like go down the line. The Southerners will know what Luby's is. And then they have a special called the Delight plate. And so. Wait, can you just like, say what it's called one more time? It's called the Delight plate. <laughs> so he told me to get the Delight plate because it was cheaper. And then. <laughs> well, Catherine, then, he's selling balloons. Those aren't expensive. <laughs> The man's trying to make a dollar with plastic and gold foil. So that was the last time I saw Clark. Like conveniently, I stopped returning his phone calls. But so after that blind date experience, I was very leery of the blind date experience with Mr. Whitaker. But I went because my college roommate made me go. But yeah. Oh my god. It was it was pretty I was pretty burned after that, after that blind date experience. Well, we have Clark on the phone. Did he do a balloon animal for you at the end of the night? Oh my, he, he, um, he offered and I was like, I have <laughs> got kidding. to get out of this car. I have uh, got to get out. Let's go into our wrap up question. Oh yeah. If, if, if you could tell your 12 year old self anything, what would you tell her? So that was about the time that I got a back brace when I had scoliosis. So I would tell her that the girls that were being mean to her were not going to matter in about 10 years. Mm. When you, when you got that back brace, was it, was it something that would show like from your clothes and stuff? Well, it was the eighties and bat, you know, clothes were baggy back then. So, but everybody knew that I had, it. I was in a small town of 10,000 people. Everybody knew that I had a back brace and those mm-hmm. girls were absolutely awful to me. And, um, I don't talk to any of them anymore. <laughs> um, and so I wish that someone had told me that they weren't the only friends that I was ever going to have. Have oh they my tried gosh, wait, to like, were those your friends? They were your friends. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Oh my gosh. They were the mean girls. Tried to like reach out to you on social media at all. They did. And I was friends with them for a while. And then I was like, why am I still friends with these people? They were so mean to me. And I unfriended them all. I felt so good. Were they, were they um, like apologetic or were they like, 
No. Oh, wow. Nope. They just thought it was funny, like that it was funny to make fun of my brace and stuff like that. But you don't know that when you're 12, right? Girls can you be do, mean. You do. I think you know. And yeah. they were just especially mean. And now that I'm older, I'm like, they were bullying me. They were awful. And their mom should have stepped in, but they didn't. And I moved on and I wish um, some of the people that were super nice to me in middle school that I blew off, I'm now friends with. So, you know, there were some really good people. Aaron, I don't know if that is your story in terms of, but like I was bullied pretty heavily, but to be fair, I had moments in my life where I wanted to impress actually the boy, Kelly, the one who watched Seinfeld, I wanted to impress him. And so he was making fun of a kid on the school bus with chap lips. And so I had a moment where I was like, okay, I can either stick up for this kid, which I usually did, or I can make fun of him and Kelly will finally fall in love with me and we will get married. And then that split second decision, I decided to make fun of this kid. Mm-hmm. And I just, I remember him turned to me and he was crying and I just was like, what did I just do? What did I just do? And I remember like, then, you know, Kelly didn't care about me and he didn't give me his number and he left and, and we then didn't. you felt awful. I yeah. felt awful. And I think about that kid so much and I think I apologized to him, but I think about that kid so much, but it was the idea that how badly I wanted these people that were so mean to me to love me. And then the people that actually did care about me, I blew them off. The need to like prove myself to them was so deep within me because of childhood, other childhood wounds that I felt this deep need and kind of going back to what you said, when it, when I finally have healed, and I'm going to be honest, it was like five months ago, but when I finally healed and then when those people came back into my life or, or there have been people that have apologized to me and I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't need this anymore. But Kelly hasn't, by the way, (laughs) he has not. Also, I haven't seen him since I was 18. Yeah. Just so everybody's clear. He has not. I think it's interesting that you said I would go back and tell myself that they didn't matter. Not because I think if anybody that's ever experienced bullying, you kind of realize if you had that wish to go back, you can't change that situation. You know, kids are going to do and say what they want to say, but you could almost give yourself an armor to get through it. Yeah. I think that also there's something really beautiful about hearing. I remember I heard somebody who said, they weren't friends with their middle school friends. I think I was in middle school. I think they were in college. And that was like really important for me to hear. It was like, oh, wait, you're not? And like life goes on past that. And I think whether we're in a bubble of high school or a bubble of our community, our suburban community, or you know, I lived in the Brooklyn bubble, like whatever our camp bubble, whatever our bubble is, church, whatever it is, it's really hard to see past that. And I know what you're saying about like, you're not saying they don't matter. Like, of course they matter. Like they matter to God, but their opinion of you doesn't matter. And just what a beautiful thing that is to have someone that's a little bit farther ahead of you say, Hey, by the way, like I'm not friends with them anymore. Or they came back and I realized, wait, why am I continuing to pursue any sort of friendship? This is toxic for me. I don't need this in my life. They can go on with their life, but I'm not going to continue to put myself in that position. Yeah. All right. And last, but definitely not least, what was your crushed song? Yes. Well, this, this one would probably roll in at about when I was 17. Um, do you remember the song right here waiting by Richard Marks? <laughs> I'm not singing it for you because I cannot <laughs> sing, but well, I just love that. It's always like right here waiting for you. Cause I kept thinking maybe this boy will be, he'll just, he'll be so torn up mm. when I leave that he's just gonna, he's gonna wait for me, man. Cause I'm amazing. And he did not. <laughs> he 
that was like every song like we pray we play it at every like school dance it was yeah. almost like the last because it's a good slow dance you know mm-hmm. and now every time I hear it yeah it's a good it's a good thing that that ended yeah it's all good the other song would be the dance by Garth Brooks yeah because of Texas yeah. every every song every event always with Garth Brooks I very much enjoy Garth Brooks I very much enjoy him. Chris Gaines, not so much. I like I Garth, Garth, but I'm I'm a purist. I'm a George Strait girl. I will say Garth puts on an amazing concert. He absolutely has earned Entertainer of the Year for sure. I want you to know I I I don't know who George Strait is, but I'm not <gasps> what? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Very into early two thousands country. My North Carolina years when my accent starts coming out. He's the king of country, Kirsten. I don't know. King George is what we call him. I'm going to start sending you songs now (laughs) on Instagram. I'm just going to start pestering you, (laughs) sending you stuff. Well, I don't know if you heard our interview with Dominique White, but they have, Aaron and Dominique have a whole love of this new Muscadine bloodline. Muscadine, Muscadine bloodline. I couldn't get the name right. I was calling it Muppet bloodline. I don't even know. (laughs) Uh, I did go through a very, very big phase my senior year of um, Tim McGraw, Garth Brooks. It was like real Shania Twain, Faith uh-huh. Hill. It was like, that was like a big, because a boy I had a crush on loved country music. Country music. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to love country music. And then those- I'll tell the- you what, if you come to Texas, I'll reintroduce you to your love of country music because yeah. Oh my gosh. I love Tim it. McGraw singing like the song about being 17. My white t-shirt. Oh, lipstick, my white t-shirt, the booty. I don't know. I don't know. As you can tell, it's a real, real powerful memory. But I remember crying in the car because he's, it's all about being 17. I remember crying being like, I'm not 17 anymore. I'm getting so old. I'm 18 now. Oh my gosh. I don't you in your age. I'm very dramatic. Everything was dwindling there. And you have to understand, I thought I was going to be on full house. And by the time I wasn't on full house, everything was over. Fair enough. <laughs> Catherine, thank you so you are you are such a gift for so many reasons, but a huge reason you are a gift is because I texted you yesterday and was like, hey, uh, how I'm gonna speed up. I was thinking in a couple of weeks, but how about would you like to come on real soon, like in a day? I was I was deeply honored. I love you guys. Y'all are doing some good thank stuff. You. And uh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And and thank you for being so um open with your stories, especially about uh Balloon Man. Clark. I'm so sorry, Clark. 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 He has an identity, right? Kirsten. <laughs> For an identity and worth podcast. Made made in the image and likeness of God. Okay. <laughs> As someone who has worked with balloons for years. <laughs> Don't I just want to balloon guy. I'm not knocking him. And I want to give major props because when those things pop in your face, when you're dry, it is startling and very scary. Can I just say the whole time you were telling that story, I was picturing the old man from up with his balloon cart outside the zoo. That's the whole story. <laughs> Wait, real quick, how old was Clark? Because the fact that he was a balloon salesman or a balloon dealer and vendor. <laughs> vendor. He I'm was sorry. a dealer. <laughs> no, a dealer. Not a... Balloons. <laughs> he was 17. He was 17. 17. Um, oh, so good. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Kat. It was so nice to
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.